Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks for tuning in online. We're so glad that you're here so that you can be with us as we continue our current teaching series called Christ the King, where if you're new, we're studying the gospel according to Matthew. Now, within Matthew's gospel right now as a church, we are in a mini-series on the subject of Jesus's great power. That's Matthew's focus in Matthew chapters 8 and 9, and so that's what we've been studying right now. That this is Matthew's focus becomes obvious when you kind of look at chapters 8 and 9 from a high level. So let's do that now. Take a look. First, Matthew shows us Jesus' power over disease, and then Jesus' power over nature, and then his power over demons, and then his power over sin, and then finally his power even over death. And what we're doing in this series is each week we are focusing in on one aspect or another of Jesus' great power, and then we're even taking note in certain weeks in the various ways in which people responded to Jesus's amazing demonstrations of power. So that's a little bit about the series. And now that you have that, let me share with you what we're covering today. Our text is Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. And in these verses, we see an amazing demonstration of Jesus's power over demons. Of course, in the week where we're covering demons, our sound system goes crazy right before first service starts. Not too much of a surprise, but today we are covering Jesus's power over demons. We begin with the setting. To escape the crowds who would not give Jesus even one moment's rest, Jesus set out in a boat with his disciples from Capernaum. On the way to Gergesa, which was a city located in the country of the Gadarenes, about six miles east of Capernaum, an unbelievably powerful storm begins to rage. When Jesus' disciples wake him up and tell him, we're all going to die, Jesus calms the storm and in so doing demonstrates his power over nature. Well, after that incident, the disciples keep rowing through the night, and by early morning, they land on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee on the outskirts of the city of Gergesa. And they've hardly gotten off the boat to head inland before they have a very strange encounter with demons. And that's where our story picks up today with Matthew, the gospel writer Matthew, telling us about the demons. And he tells us four things. If you're taking notes, the first thing Matthew covers is their emergence. Their emergence. And we see this in verse 28 where Matthew records, and when he, meaning Jesus, with disciples in tow, came to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. Now, friends, the demons spoken of here lived vicariously through these two men mentioned, and they made their abode in the tombs. But when they see a group of men coming up from the shore of the Sea of Galilee, they emerge from their tombs. Now, at first glance, 
you would think that this is a story about two men, but Matthew makes clear they were demon-possessed men. So it's not so much a story about the emergence of two men from the tombs. Rather, it's really a story about the emergence of demons from the tombs. As we'll see in verse 29, it's the demons who speak through these men to Jesus. So Matthew's focus, again, is clearly on the demons. Now, some people make this mistake. They think, all right, well, two men come out of the tombs and they're demon-possessed. Two men, two demons. But friends, that is not the picture being painted here. Some of the details that Matthew does not include concerning this event are covered in the other gospel accounts about this same event. And in Mark's account of this event, Jesus asks one of the men, what is your name? And the man replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, in the time of Christ, a legion of Roman soldiers was comprised of 6,000 men. Now, we don't know if the word legion here is just kind of giving us a a word picture for a a large quantity of something, or if there were actually 6,000 demons. I don't think it matters, really. The point is, there were more than two. It's not two men, two demons. There were scads of demons who inhabited these two men. Well, because of their demon possession, these two guys had been driven from the city of Gergesa in which they lived. They had been driven to the outskirts of the city to find shelter and refuge um, in the tombs. Mark tells us that the men spent night and day among the tombs and on the mountains and were always crying out like crazy people and cutting themselves with stones. And then we learn from Luke's account of this event that additionally, these two guys, they went around naked. So it's no surprise why they were driven from the city. Now, Matthew tells us that there was a road that passed by the tombs and that these demon-possessed men were a menace to everyone who passed by. Maybe the demons inspired the men to go ahead and harass the people because they had driven them from their homes in the city. We really don't know, but harass the people they did. Because of such harassment, the people of the city tried to subdue them. But try as they did, Mark tells us that no one could bind them, not even with shackles and chains. They had tried a number of times, but being empowered by the demons that inhabited them, they wrenched their chains apart and broke their shackles to pieces time and time again. Now, since it was their MO to harass anyone that came by that way, they had planned to do the same with the men who had just arrived by boat on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But man, oh man, were they in for a surprise. This was not any old group of men, and the demons immediately recognized their leader. After all, demons are fallen angels. And prior to the fall, they had spent no small amount of time with all three members of the Godhead in heaven, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So naturally, they immediately recognized Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, and they were terrified at what this might mean for them. 
And this leads us to the second thing we learn about the demons, which is their concern. So first, Matthew shares about their emergence, and now secondly, he shares about their concern. When the demons realize who it is that they're dealing with, they immediately are concerned on two fronts. Now, one of their concerns is brought out in Luke's account of the event, and the other concern is brought out here in Matthew's. We'll cover them both. If you're taking notes, their first concern is that they will be sent into the abyss. The abyss. Luke says that when they realized that it was Jesus who approached, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, friends, the abyss, just think of it as a maximum security prison for demons because that is exactly what it is. Let me explain. God has temporarily allowed demons to work with Satan on this earth because even Satan and his demons serve the purposes of God. So this is something that God allows. But God has set a limit on what the demons along with Satan can and cannot do. And this is why in the book of Job, you see Satan asking God permission concerning what he can and cannot do for, uh, to Job to afflict him. So friends, God has set limits on what Satan and the demons can and cannot do. And anytime a demon steps outside those limits that God has set, they are incarcerated in the abyss. For example, in Genesis chapter 6, we read about the sons of God, which is a reference to fallen angels, also called demons, who saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, so they slept with them and produced offspring by them. And in doing this, they overstepped the boundaries that God had set, so they were incarcerated in the abyss. Sometimes in the Bible, the abyss is also referred to as Tartarus, but these are two different names for the same thing. It's the prison for demons. As the, uh, 